things to revive us, revival, pillars of revival. And uh, Chris Lockman started us out with a great uh, message on that. And we've been keeping it going. And we need that change that comes from revival. Now, revival's for Christians. If you're here today and you say, well, I'm not a Christian, well, today's your great day to become one. And when a person who doesn't know Christ has a moment where they say, you know what, I need a Savior, that technically is called a spiritual awakening, although me and others, we all throw everything under the revival category. But revival is actually where we have had the life of God in us, and maybe we've grown a little cold or complacent. Now, now God hasn't, but maybe we have, and we need revived, we need a revival, and so that's what we've been looking at. But revival causes change in us, and, and we have to do certain things to change. Now, you might have heard this phrase, if nothing changes, nothing changes. Isn't that true? It's pretty deep, isn't it? You're glad you came here just for that, aren't you? If nothing changes, then nothing changes. And so we have to see, how does God's word say change happens? You know, we say, well, maybe I can just hope for it. Maybe I can hope for change. Uh, that doesn't change things. Maybe you have wishful thinking. That doesn't change things. Maybe you say, I'm just going to try harder, 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 harder. That doesn't change things for the long term. Maybe you say, you know, I'm just going to click my heels together and say, there's no place like home. There's no place like home. That doesn't work either. That do it doesn't work. So what works? God's word is going to show us. So as we look at pillars for revival, we're going to look at training for growth. Training for growth. Now, this message is going to challenge us. It's going to challenge me. It's going to challenge you. In fact, I've been challenged by this message for the last couple of weeks. It's already done its job working on me, so it challenges us. But sadly, in some of you here today, when a challenge comes out, when the Word of God challenges our lives, we oftentimes become oh, we feel guilty, or we feel shamed, or we feel condemned, and that's not what we're looking for. In, in fact, that, I just want to, want to make sure you know this. Condemnation, shame, and guilt are a colossal waste of emotion and time and energy, and they won't change you. If that was the method God wanted to use, he would use that, but he doesn't. In fact, as you... And by the way, because there's a church on every corner... And probably even atheists have a Bible or two in their home. We all think we know everything about God and everybody has an opinion about God. But if you really want to know what God's like and what Christianity is, you got to go to the manual, to the Bible, and it will reveal to us what the truth is. This is truth. Your word is truth, the, the Lord says. So it's not our opinions. It's not what, you know, great-great-grandpa used to say or what your best friend says. What does the word of God say? And so we want to be challenged by the word of God. Well, the word of God tells us this. In Hebrews, we are told that Jesus comes, guess what, to cleanse us from a guilty conscience. So guilt must not be what he wants. He comes to take away our shame. So shame must not be the tool that changes us. And the famous verse in the Bible, the most famous, is probably John 3.16, for God so loved the world. And then John 3.17 says that Jesus did not come into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So condemnation, shame, and guilt. I'm telling you, if, if that's your go-to uh, when you start being challenged by the word of God, I just want you to just shake that off today and say, no, that's not going to be 
that's not what I'm going to go with today. I'm going to go with the Word of God and how the Word of God trains us. Now, we're going to talk about why grow spiritually. Why grow spiritually? Why training for growth? Why? Whys are very important in accomplishing anything. Now, we're going to look at what the Word of God says, and one of the reasons we need to know the why is because God has a plan for our lives that really brings us into beautiful, fruitful, lovely places. Now, it's interesting because there's always one or two that says, Tracy, you need to tell people that they might have a bad day. I don't think I need to spend a half hour telling you that. Just, you can help me out just to make sure I'm not wrong. Audience participation, I'm going to participate too. It's not a trick question. I want to ask this. If you have ever had a bad day, would you raise your hand? Okay, I think that we pretty much have all had a bad day. So I don't have to convince you that there may be a bad day. We've already talked about that in our prayer time. That Jesus said, in this world you will have trouble or tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. So we get it. The fiery trials may come. Trouble may come, bad days may come. Some of you are saying, goodness, bad day. I had a bad week, a bad month, or a bad year. I get it. But if we were going to teach anything, we'd teach that part we talked about in prayer that Jesus said we're overcomers. We're not supposed to set up camp there. They'll come. We're supposed to move through those things. So we're going to see what the Word of God says should be the standard of how we do life. So Psalms, the book of Psalms, it's, uh, it's such a gift to humanity I mean, it's such a beautiful, beautiful book. I mean, if you're, if you're even in another religion, I bet if you read Psalm, you'd say, wow, that is a work of art, a masterpiece given to human beings to read. It's just so poetic and beautiful and deep and all of that. Well, Psalm starts off in Psalm chapter 1. The first three verses that kick off this powerful book says, Oh, the joys of those who do not. Now, it's going to list three do nots. This, this sword... It's two-edged and swings both ways. For those who do not do these three things, there's joy. For those who do these three things, there's not joy. So we're going to learn here together. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked. See, if, if, if your idea of how the world ought to work and how things are and, and how Christianity should be is based off what the world says off the advice and counsel of people who don't know God, then it's out of balance. We need to go to the word of God. Oh, the joys of those who do not follow the advice of the wicked or stand around with sinners. So you're not hanging out with sinners. Now you may say, well, Jesus was around sinners. He was. I want you to see who his primary core group was, though. And your primary core group doesn't need to be sinners. Now, I get it. We go to work, we go to school, they're sinners. You may be the only Christian in a big family. And so you say, I, I go home to sinners every day. I get that. I'm not asking you to run away from home or do any of that. I'm just saying, when you have a choice of who to hang out with, I want to encourage you to hang out with godly people so they can influence your life. Because don't be fooled, bad company corrupts good morals. That's a Bible verse. My older brother was a soft-spoken guy and had good language, but when he went to work at this particular place he would work at in the winter time, he started cussing all the time. And I'm like, what? What's going on? Man, he said everybody worked. There's like three cuss words per sentence. And that would corrupt how he, his mouth would be because it influenced him. So we got to be careful that we're not hanging around with sinners or joining in with mockers. 
There are Christians that even mock Christianity. There's Christians who mock the idea of prayer or coming to an altar or doing what? Why? Because they hang around people that mock all that. Stop it. So instead of doing these three things, these people that have joy, they delight in the law of the Lord, meditating on the law day and night. And here's what we're like. Here's what God wants us to shoot for. They're like trees planted along the riverbank. You know, back, there was a time when the only thing we sang uh, in churches were hymns. By the way, I happen to love hymns, and I think they're powerful and life-changing, so this isn't a, a slam to hymns. But then we got super, super contemporary. And I don't know if you remember this cutting-edge song. I am like a tree planted by the streams of water. Anybody remember that song? Four of us? Okay. That was like cutting-edge music at the time. Ready to bring forth my fruit in a season. Just makes you want to worship, doesn't it? So it's, uh, that was cutting-edge. And that came out of the Bible. It was a scripture song. That's a radical idea, a scripture song. It said, but we're like trees planted by the riverbanks. Riverbanks are are nutritious places for trees. Planted by the riverbanks, bearing fruit each season. Their leaves never wither, and they prosper in all they do. Now, how's that sound? That sounds like the way uh, we want to live as believers, and apparently the way God wants us to be, because he wrote it in his word. And so we're full of joy, we're delighting in stuff, we're prospering, we're fruitful, we're, we're nourished. And then Jesus, if the psalmist wasn't enough, Jesus says in John 10, 9 and 10, Jesus says, yes, I, Jesus, am the gate. I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. Now, some say it's very narrow, and in a sense it's very narrow and it's very wide. It's very narrow because Jesus said this. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes unto the Father but by me. So somebody say, well, that's narrow, because what about all these other religions? But it's wide because he says, whosoever will. Anyone, come, come, come. He invites the whole world. For God so loved the world, so it's open up to everyone. Now, some people say, well, I have a problem with that, uh, but here's the thing. If Jesus is who he said he is, then he is the creator of the universe and of this world. When he says, I'm the only way, that has power behind it. Now, if he was just any old other Joe, then why would his way be any better than my way? And you might have your own religion, you might want to do whatever, but the creator of the universe said, I am the gate. Those who come in through me will be saved. They will come and go freely and find what? Good pastures. Even Psalm 23, beautiful psalm known around the globe, is about good pastures and still waters and a blessed place. The thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose, this is Jesus talking, my purpose is to give my sheep, give them a rich and satisfying life. Why grow spiritually? Because this is what happens as we grow spiritually. Jesus, the brother, or James, the brother of Jesus, writes something very similar to Psalm chapter 1. But whoever looks intently into the perfect law that gives freedom, God's word gives freedom, and continues in it, not forgetting what they have heard, but doing it, they will be blessed in what they do. So here's God saying, here's where I want the life of my people to go. This is the direction I want it to go. And it happens from growing spiritually. Now, we're going to look at this next verse. It's kind of a tie-in and then a transition verse. 
Uh, a guy who wrote a large portion of the New Testament, we mention him all the time, Paul, had a trainee, uh, an apprentice uh, named Timothy, and he writes to Timothy, he says, do not waste time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Now, I just want to get on a soapbox for just a second. Do not, what's the next two words? Waste time. There are so many crazy rabbit holes you can go down in fringe Christianity kind of stuff that has a little sprinkling of scriptures here and a little this and that there, and you can just spend hours and hours and hours and hours going down those rabbit holes and investigating things that are very interesting but won't change your life as a believer one bit. Had someone who had chased down a rabbit hole say they know that there, are, that there are aliens and life on other planets. Well, I don't care if you believe in aliens and life on other planet, but the Bible verse that he finally determined wasn't what it meant. Jesus said to the Jewish people, I have sheep that you know not of. And so he had determined that meant that there are aliens. However, the sheep that the Jewish people did not even have in mind were the Gentiles, you and I, non-Jews. And so you chase down these rabbit holes, you waste your time, everybody around your time. And you know what else I know? You'll have a two-hour video you want everyone to watch. Would you please watch this video? I finally just had to tell people, no. Because you're wasting your time. Instead of spending all that time, how about just spend that amount of time in Galatians 5 about walking in the fruit of the Spirit? Man, you'd have so much more forward momentum in your life than wondering, I wonder who Melchizedek is in the Bible. Melchizedek's an interesting little character. You can spend a lot of time looking at Melchizedek. I can tell you, if you did figure out who Melchizedek was perfectly, then will it help you grow in Jesus one bit? No, it won't. And some of you are going, I don't even know who Melchizedek is. Okay, well, that's fine. But it's a guy that showed up in the Old Testament with Abraham, and there's all kinds of talk about who was he and who was he the Christ. Okay, I just want to say, it don't matter. Interesting, fascinating, it doesn't matter. Spend that time on something else. So, he's telling Timothy, don't waste your time arguing over godless ideas and old wives' tales. Instead, here's what I want you to do with your time. Quit wasting it, invest it. Instead, Train yourself to be what? Godly. Train yourself to be godly. Physical training is good, but training for godliness is much better. Now, here's why it's better. And this is true of all the spiritual uh, disciplines that we do in our lives. It has power now in this life. See, that's a lie that, you know, we've all been taught. Well, you know what? Christianity's probably going to be awful. It's probably going to be a horrible way to live. But one day, mercifully, we'll die and be in heaven. And then in the great by and by, it'll be okay. Well, the Bible says that godliness is profitable and promises benefits in this life. In this life and in the life to come. That's why it trumps physical exercise only. Physical exercise is good, but once we're done here on planet Earth, that comes to an end, but our Training in godliness goes on and on and on for all eternity. By the way, I talked last week that we have enough discretionary time, uh, more so than any other group of people have on planet Earth and so in, in the history of the planet Earth. And so guess what? For those of you who went, that's why I don't exercise because I'm just going after God. Okay, well, you have enough time to exercise and go after God. So, so it's a, 
a link verse because it agrees with everything else we looked at. There's blessings to growing in God. But it transitions because we get an idea what actually causes change, what actually causes transformation, what actually causes spiritual growth. Paul begins to tell us here. But as we look at it, what is it? Is it just hope for it? No. Is hope good? Sure it is. Does it change us? No. Wish for it, confess for it, pray for it, try for it. All those things are good, but Paul tells us what the secret sauce is. Train yourself to be godly. Train for it. Train for it. Now, the Greek word here for train is gymnazo, and um, I just, I even tried to help you out with this slide here. Does, does the word look familiar? Gymnazo. Does it look familiar? Yeah, it's, it's, it's where we get the word gym or gymnasium. Now, now the word's a very funny word. It's a very interesting word. Uh, the Bible, our New Testament is written, before you go to that, can you hold that slide for a second? Um, what the Bible, our New Testament is written in Greek. And so most of us here, maybe none of us here, speak Greek. And so they took Greek and they translated it into English, which is what we, you know, understand. So every one of the words have different meanings, and the word gymnazo, which means training, has all kinds of power behind it. And it's a very interesting word because in those days... And in a lot of places where Paul talked, he uses this word because it connects to athletics. And athletics have always been a big deal. Did you know the Olympics existed four to 500 years before Jesus was on planet Earth? And they're still going on today. It's got to be the longest running, you know, athletic system ever on planet Earth. They're still going on today. But it's a very interesting word. So you can throw up the next slide. Gymnazo actually means to train naked. Or wearing a loincloth. Now, some of you are picturing your devotional time in the morning and thinking, wow, this is not going to be good. Okay. Train naked or in a loincloth. The reason that word is there is because if you ever studied the Olympics, a lot of the runners actually ran naked or very little. They weren't going to have anything that would hinder them. And so Paul is using, by the way, Timothy was a Greek. He was not a Jew. He was a Greek. He would understand this. The Olympics were big around there. Around Greece, obviously, Olympia is in Greece, so there's all this history here with, the, with uh, training. So then it goes ahead and defines what training is a little more. And by the way, you can find this in your Strong's Concordance. Or I think, yeah, I put it up there on the slide. It says BibleHub.com. You can get all this from BibleHub.com. You don't have to be a, a Greek-speaking person. Gymnazo conveys the idea of acquiring proficiency. Now, I don't want acquiring proficiency just to be words that go by. It means developing a skill. Gymnazo conveys the idea of developing a skill through what? Practice. You're developing a skill through practice. Practice. Regular exercise with graduated resistance. If you ever go out to exercise, you gradually, if you're wise, you'll gradually go into it and you'll build up upon it. And there's resistance if you learn to run. If you haven't run for 20 years and you decide you're going to jog again, you're not going to jog three miles your first day. I remember Zig Ziglar said he was going to get in shape one day. He got in overweight, and his, he ran to the first neighbor's mailbox. This was not in the country either. This was in a suburban neighborhood. And his goal was, I need to get to the second mailbox. And so he kept going and going until finally he could run. So there's a little resistance every day, and he got a little stronger, and a little stronger, a little stronger. Same way with lifting weights or doing anything. 
there's resistance, and we gradually we get stronger and stronger. And then it goes on to say in BibleHub.com, the physical element is also included with the spiritual of being in God's gymnasium. We are in God's gymnasium. We're in training. Now, let's take a little fear out of, you know, training naked or in a loincloth and say, what, what are we going to do? Well, we need some time for some stripped-down focus towards developing our spiritual lives. Let me define that. You, now, now, ultimately, I want us to learn how to weave our spirituality in our entire life, but I think every one of us needs some set-aside time. I'm not going to tell you whether five minutes, 15 minutes, an hour, whatever. You, you start and build, so I'd say if you've never had a designated time spend with the Lord, you can start with five minutes, you can build on that, but, but what we need to do is we need to set aside that time, and when we set aside that time, I want you to strip it down, and I want God to be the only focus of that time, so let me tell you what I want you to do, I know it's going to be tough, man, I want you to shut off your devices, oh my goodness, I didn't know... Christianity is going to be that hard. Yeah, shut down your devices because you don't need to be surfing the internet while you're doing your prayer time. You don't need to be, you know, watching TV while you're reading your Bible. Okay, I want you to set aside some time. Now, throughout the rest of your day, I hope your prayer life will just be woven through your work, your school, your pray. Your, your day, your work, whatever it is, you're studying, you're working around the house, in the garage, in the yard. So I want you to learn to weave all that into your life because if you get some word in you in the morning, you can be out mowing the grass, pondering the word, like, ah, that's interesting, and just thinking about the word of God. But I want you to strip down some focus, some naked, single-eyed focus for a period of time every day to grow in the Lord. Now, there's hundreds of different ideas. Again, I want to say this. Please, as you go to learn, and maybe you get a Bible study or whatever, an app on your phone to do something, please pick wholesome, godly, wise, reputable men and women to listen to, read their stuff, or do whatever, so you're not chasing all these strange things, and you're focusing on things that really produce spiritual growth for you. So here's, here's one I've used in the past. I just want to show it to you. It's called first15.org. First15's design is that you spend your first 15 minutes every day with the Lord. Now you say, well, I, I just couldn't do it in the morning. Well, find out something that works for you. I can tell you this is a first-class organization, quality material. There's a, a Bible study time, a little devotional, a little guided prayer, and a song. Every day they pick out an awesome song that you can, and they're really good at staying right at about 15 minutes. And you can just help yourself grow in God by using this or something like it, okay? So let's move on. 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. Paul's talking to Corinth. Corinth was a very avant-garde, cool, hip kind of city. And there's a a group of believers, Paul planted a church there, and so he's talking to these people. By the way, the Isthmus Games were big, which were like Olympic, Olympics in Corinth. Corinth is a little Isthmus that connects uh, some areas in, in Greece, and there were games there that went off of the Olympic cycle, and so again, people were really into, all, we've always been into that. 
I was almost afraid the basketball game was going to trump our baptisms, okay? Because we're all like into sports, I get that. Um, and by the way, if you're a Purdue fan, we love you. I just want you to know that we love you. You are welcome here, okay? UK fans know, but, but Purdue fans are welcome here. Just kidding, I'm from a family of UK fans. Darlene, for those that didn't know this, they were raised in Hazard, Kentucky. I told Darlene, I said, man, you were a city girl born in the country. I don't know how that happened, but anyway, so they're all UK fans. So he's talking about things that are athletically oriented. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Now, I feel I need to sprinkle some of this here. This is not saying only one person is going to get heaven. So we all better com compete hard because only one of us is going to get this. No, he's saying, I want you to think about how an athlete does things and use some of that thought process into your spiritual training and your spiritual growth. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. He's challenging us. Be, be as motivated about your spiritual growth as these runners are about winning a prize. Everyone who competes in the games, and he would be talking about either the Isthmus Games or the Olympic Games, everyone who competes in the games, and the audience would know exactly what he was talking about in Corinth, everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last, but we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Now, Darlene and I and our kids happened to have the opportunity to be in Corinth. And we were in Corinth, and the tour guide was a lady who loved Jesus. You ever just meet some of those people, they just radiate the Spirit of God. And she loved Jesus. And she was Greek. And when she read out of the Bible, she read out of her Greek Bible. And she said something here that stuck with me. She said, unfortunately, many of the uh, English languages translate that the athletic people train to get a crown that won't last. She said, crown's a bad translation there. The, and you can look it up. You can state your strong concordance. She's really right, because I go check these things out. When I hear something, I have a slight bit of skepticism always, but I'll go check it out, and I'm totally teachable, but I'm not very gullible, so I, but I'd like to learn. So I went, wow. The, if you go back to the original Greek, it says they train to get a perishable wreath or garland. You've seen, you've seen pictures of Greeks or Romans in the old time where they have that little laurel wreath around their head. They said these people are going crazy to get some landscaping on their head. I mean, that, and, and it won't even last. It will wither away and rot away, but we do it to get a crowd. Hmm. One that lasts forever. And man, I don't even know, like you say, well, I wonder if it's gold. I suspicion it's probably some alloy we don't even know that God's going to give us a crown that will last forever. And you know, one of the things I hope we get to do, it talks about the 4 and 20 elders doing this, and I just think we would all want to. One of, one of my, uh, I guess not a bucket list, that's something you do before you die, so this is one of my after bucket lists. My after bucket list is I hope we get to take those crowns like the 4 and 20 elders and lay them at the feet of Jesus and just say, man, this, you. And God's so into rewards I can just picture Jesus picking that back up and saying, nah, I, I want you to have this. And what, what a humbling thing to think that the king of the universe would award us for how dismally we often do our faith 
And so we're being challenged to go after God. And he says, we did to get a crown that will last forever. Since that's true, that's what the word therefore means. Since that's true, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I preach to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. Now, because of the athletic uh, word choices here, I, just, I really want to make this plain. Paul was not one who would beat himself like there have been groups that just, they, they would take a whip and they'd beat themselves as Christians and say, I am not a good person, I did wrong. He's not talking about that. What he's talking about is I make my body obey me, I don't obey my body. And so sometimes I have to say no to what my flesh wants and yes to what God wants. And he says, because I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. also want to straight, make sure we understand this. Paul was not saying, if I don't do everything God told me to do, I, he may send me to hell. It's not what this is saying. God was, Paul was the master of grace. He's the one that wrote. It is by grace you have been saved, not through, or by grace you have been saved through faith, not of works, so no one can boast. Our salvation is a gift from God. And so he wasn't saying, I think I got to try to earn heaven. But what he did have was he had a calling and a ministry. He was an apostle and a teacher and a church planter and probably many other things as well. And he said, I don't want to be disqualified for the prize. I, God wants people who practice what they preach. And he does not want to stand before God or even have God, he had visitations by the resurrected Jesus. It would be bad for the resurrected Jesus to show up and say, Paul, you're teaching a great word, but you're not living it. You're going to have to step aside while I get somebody else who will teach and do their level best to live it. And so he wasn't worried he was going to lose heaven, but he wanted to fulfill the ministries that God called him to. So I want to encourage you with some things I've learned over the years. I do it right sometimes. Sometimes I do it wrong. I think this will help you. I kind of have an all-or-nothing mentality when I approach something, and that has a uh, bad side to it. So you say, what's that mean? That means that if I say I'm going to read through the Bible in a year, if I skip five or six days in January, by the way, if you've ever tried to read through the Bible in a year, you miss a few days, and then it's like, tomorrow I need to read 120 chapters, and you go, oh my goodness, I'm not going to make it. And so I'll just say, hey, I'm not going to make it, so I, I just start something else. Because i got this kind of all-or-nothing mentality. It happens with, like if I say I'm going to eat healthy, I'll eat healthy, but if I have a bad meal, I'm just telling you how I'm wired up because I'm all-or-nothing, that bad meal turns into a bad day, turns into a bad weekend, turns into a bad month, and then generally, you know, this time of year, I'd say, well, I can always start next January. So you've, you realize, oh, it turned into a bad year. So you've got to watch that. Now, I'm not always that way. Sean, when he was a little guy, we decided we were going to read through the Bible. I think I decided more than Sean did, but we're going to read through the Bible. And so we got one of those yearly Bibles. You know what I mean? It's all mapped out for you. One year, start here, get to the end, you're done. And I said, I know my all or nothing mentality. If we miss a few days, I'm going to quit and start something else. So before we start, I said, this is not the one-year Bible for us. This is the Bible till we're done. And Sean and I read through the entire Bible in two and a half years. Now, somebody could say, loser, took you two and a half years to do the one-year Bible. No, winner, because I finished it. Yeah, so you don't beat yourself up and don't be an all or nothing 
because if I would have kept my all or nothing mentality, Sean and I would have never read through the Bible together because I would have quit. So keep going. The second thing I want to tell you is that there's a tendency when you think things aren't going to be very good to not do it at all. You say, what do you mean? Let's pretend you were doing the first 15 every morning. One morning you wake up late. I know you would never have this, but you just feel demotivated. You don't want to go to work. You don't want to get in the shower. You don't want to do nothing. And you say, I'm not going to do my devotional time this morning because it's not going to be very good. And I'm going to have four minutes instead of 15 minutes. I want to encourage you to do it anyway. Now, you may leave that four minutes and really say, that was a waste of time. It's not. I learned this after the fact. I know this is going to shock you. This is truth, okay? One time I exercised every day for 90 days. I know you're finding a hard time believing that, but I did. And I said to myself, I'm going to exercise every day for 90 days. And there were some days when I went to exercise and I felt I have no energy, I have no desire, it's not going to be any good, I might as well skip, but I didn't. And after I finished that, it was probably two years later, I read something, went, oh, that makes sense. They said, on the day you think your exercise or your eating or your devotions or going to church or whatever is going to be awful, so why go anyway? Those are some of your most important times. And I thought, why? Because most of the time when I felt like my exercise was going to be bad, it really was bad. It really was lackluster. But here it is. You ready? You kept the habit alive. Yeah, but it was all, but you kept the habit alive. Because we're so easy to break a habit if we skip a day, and then it's easier to skip a next day, and then it's easier to skip a week, and then you find you never got back at it. So sometimes it's just keeping the habit alive. And we've also had the opposite thing. I've, I've talked to runners before. I've never been a big runner, but I've talked to runners before that uh, they said, man, I remember one day I did not want to get up and run, but I went and did it anyway, and I had one of the best runs of my life. That happens sometimes, too. Sometimes it doesn't, but it happens, too. About everybody who goes to church consistently has a story like this. I got up, did not want to go to church, did not want to come, came to church, and went, oh, my goodness, I'm so glad I came. I mean, I felt like I touched heaven today. So that can happen. And it can happen that you'll leave and say, I'm not so sure I shouldn't have stayed at home. That was, I didn't get anything out of it. But you know what? You kept the habit alive. Because sometimes you miss a Sunday, and then you miss another and another, and you've got to keep the habit alive. So keep the habit alive and keep doing what you need to do, and it will pay off in the long run. I stole this from a book I read. And I don't even know I'm quoting it exactly right, but you'll get the idea. Habits are behaviors we repeat consistently, but not behaviors we repeat perfectly. So maybe your devotional time isn't perfect every morning. Maybe heaven didn't come down. Maybe you didn't have that, but be consistent. And little by little, it's interesting because we don't see it, but little by little, you grow. And one day, you really notice, or those around you notice your growth. You will notice this with children that you're around all the time. They're growing all the time, but you never see it. But your friends who haven't seen your children for two years... When you come visit them, they go, oh, my goodness, those kids have gotten so big. And you go, they did? Well, they just got a big a little bit at a time. Well, you're going to grow. It may just be a little bit at a time. And you may not even see it. And those who are around you may not see it. But when you run into your old buddy that you ran around with in high school, they're going to go, 
oh my goodness, you have changed. You're such a different person than you used to be because little by little, we grow. So it may not be perfect, but work for consistency. There was one particular, well, actually, this, this kind of bad, but I can't tell you how many times, because I'll go to the prayer room for a little bit on Sunday mornings and I'll leave. I cannot tell you how many times they come to me afterwards and say, oh my gosh, after you left, all heaven came down. I'm tired of hearing it, actually, that after I left, all heaven came down. Well, one day, the prayer team was, was praying, and uh, it's just like the Holy Spirit fell in the place, and Darlene told me, said, oh my goodness, and I, we felt like, and I mean, we don't live by feelings, but we felt like we were going to float out of the room. His presence was so thick. She had never experienced that before. I'd never experienced that. One day, because I get up early on Sunday morning, spend some time with God, I told her, I'm, I'm sitting there, and I'm having some time with the Lord. Oh, my goodness, the Holy Spirit swept in so powerful that I felt like I was just going to float right up out of the room. It, it's a very interesting phenomenon. And I told Darlene, I said, oh, my goodness, I felt like I was going to float out, out of the, the sunroom this morning and spend time with God. And she said, remember when I told you we had that same thing happen in the prayer? I said, I do remember that now. Now I want to say this. That has never happened to me before or since. Would I like every time I go to devotional time to have that? Absolutely. But you know what? It's not that that decides whether I'm going to spend time with God because I have a challenge for you and for me today. I want to say this. You say, well, I don't know where I'd find time. And I'm not trying to make you feel guilty or me. I'm not trying to beat you up. I'm not trying to shame you. But I want to challenge this with something. What is Jesus worth to you? What is Jesus worth to you? What is your spiritual life worth to you? What are those around you worth to you? And again, I don't want guilt to be the motivator. I want you to think about, he's everything to me. I know I can find some time. I can carve out five minutes, 10 minutes, 15 minutes. I can carve out some time to spend with God. So here's our goal for the week. Pick a time to invest in spiritual growth. And if you've never done it before and you don't have a system, just start experimenting. Go into training and work at it until you find a system that fits for you. I think the idea of first 15 is cool. Use your first 15 minutes in the morning with God. But I'd rather have you lose, use the last 15 minutes of your day and do it consistently than say, I have to do it in the morning and not do it at all. So find a system that works for you and just practice it. Develop it. You'll get strengthened. And I will promise you, you start spending five minutes with the Lord, you'll just fall more in love with him. Five minutes won't be enough. You'll want 10. And then 10 will turn into 15. And I'll promise you this. One day you're going to be spending time with God and you're going to look up at the clock and go, I have got to leave. I've got to go to work. I've got to go to school. And you're going to be so sad. You're going to go, oh, I just want to stay here and be with the Lord. Here's the good news. You can take him with you. You can take him to school, to work, wherever, and just keep thinking about him, meditating about him, praying to him, and enjoying him all day.